Hello and welcome to the Making Sense of podcast um, by us, the team at Foundation for Change. This is podcast number 17 um, and the topic today is, well, we're continuing our little mini series on systemic thinking. This is the third of that mini series. Um, and today we're looking at social inequality through a systemic perspective. So through the lens of systemic thinking. Um, sounds a bit scary, um, but hopefully this podcast will hopefully make this very accessible and um, something that can basically change the way you look at social inequality and hopefully lots of other things as well. Um, who am I joined by? Do you want to say hi, introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Heather. Hi, I'm Antonia. And I'm Liz. And we're a bit thin on the ground today. Yeah, it's more of us. Um, it's Friday. Is that a coincidence? Um, Where is so, everyone? <laughs> I'm just having a day off on a Friday. Anyway, um, so yeah, so, so we're looking at social inequality and, and I guess before we start, I think it'd be worth um, just doing a bit of a recap also because my brain feels really rusty. Yesterday was my first day back after Christmas and New Year. So I guess um, other people are feeling a little bit kind of foggy in their brains too. Um, so just maybe kind of clarifying a few terms and ideas and concepts which are likely to come up for this podcast. Um, systems thinking, quick recap, what is it? Everything, being able to, say, to see the interconnectedness of the world mm -hmm. and um, how, how, you know, it is like a system. One thing impacts another as well. Things are not just in, don't exist in isolation. Mm -hmm. Quick example of a system. System. Um, criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. Family is a system. Mm -hmm. So people often don't see that. It's quite difficult to kind of understand family. It seems so natural. Um, how are we out other people here? Don't just sit there. Come on. Are we going to go back to the engine example that we, we all can, started? We can. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, quick one. Um, have we done education system? I thought we were going to get talk about cars. Oh no! <laughs> it's, our, it's our expertise at FFC. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, one one example is cool, but um, so a system is something where you have lots of different parts that all exist within a particular. Uh, system. Um, they're all interconnected and the system will always have some kind of functional purpose. So whether it's a car which gets you from A to B or whether it's criminal justice system or whether it's a family, um, they all have some common purpose. Okay, And all of the different parts within that system interact with and impact each other. Next one, social inequality. How would you describe what social inequality is? seems like a big thing to explain. I think it would be that not everyone in society is equal. I think, um, you know, I, I kind of uh, grew up with the idea that, that life was um, like a running track. Um, and, you know, we all, we're all at the start line together. And we, we just, you know, how well we advance depends on, on you know, just how fast we can run. In my case, not very fast at all. Um, but you know, that, that we all start off at the same place, that we all start off quite equal. And actually social inequality says that we don't all start off the same. Mm -hmm. 
as Antonia's just said, but you know, that some people right from the very beginning um, have lots of um, challenges that they've got to overcome before even starting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the key is in, the, is in social. And I guess when people think of social, they might just think of like social life or something, but think of it in terms of society. So um, yeah, we are kind of born the same, I guess, in a sense, but in, you know, biologically and stuff like that, but actually society deals us a different set of cards that we all have to play the game of life with. <laughs> Didn't mean that to sound so cheesy, but that's, uh, yeah. Um, okay, some examples of inequalities in society really quickly. Disability, so if there's a lot of places in London, for example, if you're disabled in a wheelchair or you're blind, you can't access the same as people without that disability. Absolutely. Poverty, big, big one. Yeah. Two, so two more terms, B-A-M-E. Um, I'll just quickly do this one. So B-A-M-E is Black and Asian Minority Ethnic. Um, so it could be a person, it could be a group, it could be a community. Um, <clears throat> it used to be the old BME, so it was just black minority ethnic communities or populations. I think the Asians felt a bit left out. Um, so now it's BAME, black and Asian minority ethnic communities. Wanted to say here a couple of things. So, I mean, BAME is a bit of a mouthful, but that's generally how it's used. But some places do say BAME, which kind of sounds a bit odd. I'm not sure if we're going to do that in this podcast, but if we do, you now know what that is referring to. Um, and just to say, I mean, you know, there, there are problems with most words, but I mean, there is a problem with this term that it's just too all-encompassing you know it's trying to kind of highlight a, a group of minorities but you know black population what does that mean you know where are they from it could be from africa it could be from the caribbean you know it could be from from different parts of the world um so that's one of the problems asian again is too big generally it means kind of indian pakistani bangladeshi um but Anyway, we just wanted to kind of highlight that there are problems with this term. It's not as useful as it kind of needs to be, but for the sake of, of this, we are going to be using that as a term. Um, and the final one, top marks of this, um, may not be coming up so much in this podcast, but if it does, it just would be helpful to have a bit of a definition set for it. Meritocracy. So that's kind of the idea that we're all kind of born equal and we're going to get we're going to succeed in life because of our talents um not because of you know how rich our families were or all those kind of things yeah to nothing to do with that at all yeah. <laughs> sorry Liz, what are you going to say or going to eton or knowing the right people no, no of course not Silly. Um, okay, so okay, so some kind of like uh, terms established, and going into what this podcast is around about. I mean, I guess like it's useful again, just in the kind of vein of recapping. I think it's useful to just go back a little bit, and it was useful for us to think about why are we including this little mini series as part of our kind of wider series on this on the making sense of podcast on systemic thinking. Um, and, you know, systemic thinking is, um, it's something that is 
you know, it's a skill that can be learned. You know, one of the skills that we really try to encourage people to use and to kind of cultivate on our courses is critical thinking. I've done a podcast on that. I think it was one of the very, very early ones. Um, systemic thinking is another one. It's another skill that I think can absolutely be learned and it's absolutely something that gets stronger the more you use it. Okay, so that was one of the reasons we wanted to include this on this podcast. And also like as a charity, we see things very systemically. We don't see things as, for instance, addiction. We don't see addiction as just, you know, being the result of one thing. We see it as being the result of multiple, multiple, multiple things, which, you know, this. It's impossible to see, you know, one thing, isn't it? You know, being able to look at the bigger picture makes things more understandable. It's impossible to understand something when you're just looking at one thing because you're never kind of dealing with that one thing. There's so many things involved in everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's like having that nuance rather than like just that black and white thinking, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, life is really complex. And so we need to look at it from as many angles as possible. That said, a lot of people do see things from just this kind of one tunnel vision perspective. Yeah, and we'll maybe kind of look into that um, a little bit later or maybe kind of now as we go into it. Um, and I guess, you know, social inequality is something that we, you know, as a charity, that's the kind of landscape we operate within. And I think we wanted to, um, just going back to the kind of systems thinking mini series, you know, we started off with an introduction to systems thinking. We then had a podcast looking at the systems that we live in and very much a, a big part of that was very much looking at this idea that we don't question the systems we live in. You know, we don't think about them. We just kind of accept them as they are. Um, and I guess we don't often see that they could be different because they're just kind of givens. Um, and with this podcast, and I guess also the next one in the series, you know, we're just really trying to kind of get you to really get to the depth or get to get to a very kind of, you know, strong understanding of systems thinking so that you can start applying it to other things. And again, this really mirrors what we do as a charity. We are very, very, very keen on people basically knowing stuff, but realizing that's not enough. They also need to then apply it to their lives, to themselves, to how they see others. So, so we're using social inequality in a sense to help us understand that, but also really to help us understand what systemic thinking is. Social inequality is huge. Um, and I think that it would be really useful or kind of the, maybe the most useful way of, of approaching this is to try to narrow down one example of systemic um, and social inequality um, and kind of like look at that through the systemic lens. And the one that I was, th I was thinking about various things and the one that I basically settled on was to look at the impact of COVID-19 on people from black and minority ethnic populations as an example to illustrate, you know, looking at something systemically, okay? Um, so again, just, you know, before we dive into it, again, just, you know, I'm hoping you, you remember this from previous ones, but I want to just kind of reiterate and reinforce again that systemic thinking in a really, really, really simple way is something that Heather just said. It's about seeing the bigger picture. It's about trying to see as many angles as possible rather than just looking at one. Okay. And a really key feature of systemic thinking, and this is going to be really key to this discussion, is that we from this perspective, we see um, things as a symptom, as sorry, as um, not as a problem, but as a symptom of something much deeper. Yeah. Okay. 
So hopefully that makes sense as we start to go into this. Okay, so let's let's kind of just crack on with this this um, this example. So I mean, I'm sure you know, and you know, there's a bunch of stats that back all this stuff up. I'm not going to include a bunch of stats when we're talking about this, but I wanted to just um, you know start by saying. COVID-19 has affected people from black and minority ethnic backgrounds disproportionately is much higher than those from white backgrounds. Um, at this stage, when we're just talking in very kind of broad brushstrokes, we're not kind of talking about like class and things like that. It's gonna come up, but I wanted to just say we're, you know, really, really crudely looking at kind of BAME versus white. Okay, in, in relation to how COVID has affected them. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we know is that COVID is more dangerous and affects people more severely in people with previously existing health conditions. So we know that. And we also know from statistics that people from black and minority ethnic populations have got high levels of diabetes, asthma, cardiovascular disease, and obesity. If you were looking at this from a very kind of medical perspective, so this is that, you know, this is a really good example of when people do see things from like, you know, one from, from in this kind of very reductive kind of tunnel vision way, you could say that, okay, so, you know, people in these populations have got high levels of all of these pre-existing health conditions, they catch COVID and then they're more likely to die. And that's the reason people from those populations are experiencing COVID worse than people from non-BAME. Okay, it's a very medical point of view. What do you think a systemic point of view might say? Or how do you think a systemic view, um, perspective might start to account for that? So you'd look at the different factors that are relate relatable, um, you know, to do with their accessibility to, to healthcare or um, diets, living conditions, like, like all the different things that, that go into like your access or your access to or, or wanting to see a doctor and how healthy you are to start with. Okay. Just to maybe just to kind of begin with, yeah, absolutely. But just to just to begin with, I guess, you know, just to kind of reiterate again. So if you have these pre-existing conditions. Um, from this kind of systems perspective, the first question is to say like, well, where do those come from? So rather than just be happy of just like, oh yeah, well, that's what this population has. We don't need to think about it. A systemic kind of view says, no, think really hard about where those things come from. So what, so let's just take, um, I don't know, obesity as an example. Where do you think high levels of obesity in that population come from? I mean, you know, you're looking at, the impact of poverty mm -hmm. um, on people's um, ability to go and buy, you know, nut fresh nutritional food. Yeah. There's also, you know, the, thinking systemically, you're also bringing into into consideration culture and and wider kind of determinants of, of, of people's health, not just their physical bodily health. So with mm -hmm. obesity in, in a, a BAME um, person, you'd sort of look at um, the, the, the poverty being a kind of huge, huge, um, you know, part of, of obesity. 
and, and because it's cheap, you know, it, it's just, it, 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 it's what do people eat and what can they access? It's not only, I mean, to kind of come back to Heather's question, it's not, or Heather's point, it, you know, it's not only what people eat, but it's the accessibility of like food around them you know if you if like you you're because if you're you're disadvantaged you'll be living in a most likely be living in a part of a city or a part of a town where you're surrounded by like local shops or petrol station shops or you know shops like you're not going to be surrounded by a load of whole food shops and so on and actually the whole kind of culture as well as like well what 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 you know what what um, we kind of feel like we're kind of running too quickly into something but you know it's about people's cultural capital as well to use a term meaning like you know if you're brought up to believe certain things and believe that um, you're entitled in the world then that that entitlement comes easier to you mm -hmm. whereas if you grow up in a world where it says you're not really worth much then that tends to be a, a belief that you carry about yourself and this this connects with the podcast we did on core beliefs the social the sort of socially kind of driven core beliefs that people can pick up but mm -hmm. if we're looking at a particular uh, population ethnic population there are really strong kind of core beliefs social core beliefs about uh you know what what that what that population is worth yeah, and those core beliefs are kind of reinforced by the people around them as well. And it's, you know, a lot of the stuff is intergenerational. So if you have um, parents who, uh, you know, when we were just kind of talking about obesity at the moment, but just if it's like poverty is intergenerational, attitudes towards food, lack of access, lack of affordability, all of those things are going to add up. Yeah. And also if you're, yeah, in a, like like you were saying, if in a, in a deprived area, um, you're not going to have access to all this kind of, you know, fancy organic stuff, let alone afford well, if you're, Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're on a really minimum paid job and you're doing two or three jobs, you just don't even have the time. It's quicker mm -hmm. to buy a cheap processed meal than it is to actually go out shopping, get your fresh veg, make something, you know, which might in the long term obviously work out cheaper. But for the initially, you know, and and there's no 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 nutritional value in a lot of these sort of processed ready meals things mm -hmm, totally um anything else just about the kind of the house I, I know it's kind of hard to just you know we, we're kind of going into like low paid jobs stuff like that and we'll talk about that but just thinking about kind of i really want to just start by contrasting a very medical view with thinking like oh actually there's way more to this than than we realize if you kind of scratch the surface so we've got these pre-existing health conditions diabetes coronary uh, sorry cardiovascular disease um asthma um, obesity, where else might those things be coming from if you start to really think very laterally, like broadly? I was thinking like over um, obesity could be from using food as a kind of coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. Like overeating, well, it's mm -hmm. just like you know, using it if you feel miserable. Like, I don't know how to word this. You just did. <laughs> comfort, comfort eating. Yeah, comfort food, comfort yeah. eating. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which also, you know, it might, there, there are lots of reasons why people might need to comfort themselves. But one of those reasons is, of course, trauma. You know, I think that, you know, over the last few years, people have got a more, much more kind of alerted to kind of that, you know, trauma lies behind lots of, lots of, of health conditions, actually. 
yeah. they're not just they're not just purely biological kind of well that's that's a shame that's just how your genes are kind of yeah. um understanding it like the you know the anxiety and stress have a huge health impact on on people and quite a lot of that comes from tra early traumatic experiences totally and and I remember um, reading a book a few years ago and it was talking about intergenerational um, trauma and kind of experiences of, you know, racism that, that are passed on down generations. I mean, you kind of go back only a few generations and you look at what people have gone through and even kind of like a generation before where you look at migration and, and kind of the impact of leaving families or like how people have kind of forced to migrate, any of that kind of stuff. There's a lot of trauma that's being carried and being passed on to people. And I mean, it's a theory. I mean, a lot of this stuff is kind of like really, really hard to pin down because, you know, everything is kind of interconnected and everything is very complex, but it really blew my mind to see something that I'd always read kind of as I was growing up and kind of, you know, my professional life that if you, and also as an Indian myself, you know, like, how, or like if you're Indian, you're gonna have higher levels of heart disease and all that stuff. But it was basically theorizing that rather than just accepting that, oh, it's genes, and you have these things because of genes. It was saying actually you have these things because of trauma. You know, a really a really high level of it. You know, like just small. I mean, I say small. I mean, you know, just repeated racist incidents again and again and again. They go somewhere. There's a really. I'm talking. There's a, I'm just reminded. There's a really great book by a guy called David Grossman called See Under Love, and um, it's about the kind of the generation after the the kind of Holocaust Jewish generation, you know, generation, and how the, the 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 Holocaust, of course, was the thing that couldn't be spoken of. So there was a kind of huge silence and the traumatic impact of that silence on people that I, I guess were born in the you know in the late 1940s and 50s there was a whole generation of Jewish people that were really really impacted by something that didn't happen to them mm. it happened to their parents and this is what we're talking about you know mm -hmm. and and that also kind of um describes intergenerational poverty mm -hmm. as well yeah. you know like it, it just continues because uh it happened to your parents doesn't mean that it, it won't happen to you I think that's a very good sort of way of understanding social inequality. Yeah, and again, you know, the other thing that I think is really connected to that, which I think we've mentioned before, is the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. Yeah. Um, which is like an ongoing, like, huge study of, like, I think it must be about 20,000 people now, where they're, you know, linking specific experiences in childhood to later kind of problems, which, you know, obvious ones like substance misuse and depression and things like that but also cardiovascular disease pulmonary lung disease you know they're they're linking these kind of you know conditions that are usually very medicalized with trauma mm -hmm. yeah so this is huge i mean this is you know a very re i think it's a really good way of thinking of looking at something that is often fed to us in this very medical way and just thinking like we don't have to accept how it's presented to us we can look at it a bit deeper if we choose to if we know how to um, and likewise asthma, I mean, I was just thinking about asthma and just thinking like, well, you know, you may have a kind of predisposition to some, to any of these things, but if you, um, if you're also, if you're living in a very kind of poor property with kind of poor ventilation, 
poor heating, or you can't afford heating, things are damp, of course you're gonna have asthma, or the kids are gonna have asthma, or you're living in a deprived area where there's a lot of pollution around. Yeah. Yeah, so these things are all linked to poverty, but like on the surface, we, we're led by certain professions and institutions to think like, oh, well, it's just a medical problem. Well, and so they're just happy to accept that that is the reason, oh, it's just medical. These populations just have this as a problem because of the color of their skin. Yeah, to them, there's an advantage to doing that. Because it like negates their just responsibilities. It's not it's nothing to do with them. They can't do anything about it. Totally. Yeah. Throws the responsibility back onto the person, the individual. It's like, oh, well, this is happening to you. So that's unfortunate. It's your you know, responsibility to do something about it. Nice. Yeah, and I think it's also something about, like there's something I talk about on psychology for change and psychology was this principle, the least effort principle, where like, you know, as human beings, we're just overwhelmed by information all the time. So like the brain has to kind of, it's called chunking, which I love as a word. So the brain has to chunk information and has to kind of simplify it. And it kind of like helps us get through our day to day. But the problem is that, you know, we, society and governments see these very complex problems in overly simplistic ways, which means they don't have to take responsibility for them and then they don't have to start changing status quo. Yeah, if yeah. you actually do look into it, it will open up so, so much else. Huge. So if we go back to the fact that, you know, uh, BAME populations are disproportionately impacted by COVID, you know, it, it, you can kind of go, oh, that's that's really unfortunate. That's a shame. You know, it's because, you know, kind of black families are mingling more because, you know, it's their culture. They're a bit, you know, more prone to kind of being sociable. There's nothing we can do about, it. you know, there's lots of sort of quite kind of pernicious, um, um, uh, you know, nasty kind of assumptions in that in, in, in that kind of perspective. Like there's nothing we can do about it. It's just how things are. Yeah, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, there was there were, when there was reports coming back from towns up north, and it was in kind of clusters. But it was in clusters where people were all either had really kind of like high levels of like living together, like big families in really small spaces, or they were all working in like relatively sweatshops. So they all really, really like everyone's crammed in together with hardly any um ventilation mm. um yeah so like where they worked as well as you know where you live and it's interesting because it's you know i think one of the things i hear quite often is this kind of like oh but it's cultural yeah you know, like people from black and ethnic black and asian minority ethnic communities you know they live together and they're really good and they have like this family mindset and you know you have like four generations living under one roof but like Nobody wants to share a bed with their grandma. Do you know what I mean? It's just like when you when you start. Not to rephrase that. <laughs> well, no, but like if you're you know if you're like kids and you know like you you there is this idea that like oh you're I mean I had kind of this growing up you're Asian so you're comfortable like all living under one roof and kind of sharing six to a bed, but it but it's kind of made out to sound like it's a cultural thing rather than like actually this is not any choice. This yeah. is not born out of a choice. This is born out of necessity. Yeah, I think you know. I think a lot of a lot of um, a lot of the way we choose not to go. Think, oh, it's well, it's cultural, isn't it? Oh well, you know, they're, they're kind of living big families. Um, it, it, 
it, it kind of avoids something quite ugly. Um, and the ugliness is, is about inequality. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I think as humans, it's hard to kind of properly dig into that, not only as kind of governments and, and you know, society, what, you know, which is just a collection of humans, uh, but it's hard to sort of think about those things um, too much because it, it is, this is really ugly um, sort of reality there. And, 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 and Heather talked about it, it's not choice, it's just, you know, what people have to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nobody chooses to work in a sweatshop in Leicester. Three yeah. an hour, you know. Yeah. Just kind of sticking with the the health thing a little bit, and then we can just move on to some other um, slightly kind of juicier ones. But I, I wanted to kind of chuck this in there because I, I think it's an interesting example. Where again, it's an example of on the one hand, <clears throat> you know, a piece of information is presented as if like, well, it's just fact, and people don't think about well, why is that? And I guess one of the things that we're constantly trying to do on our courses and in our work and whether it's kind of critical thinking or whether it's systemic thinking is, is really, um, you know, encouraging a sense of curiosity and encouraging that kind of question that a lot of parents get pissed off with their kids about when they're just like, but why, why, you know, in a way we're trying to kind of like, you know, cultivate that as, as adults. And so one of the things that they've, they've shown is that people from black and minority ethnic communities, sorry, let's step back a second. One of the things they've shown is that, like, if you have low levels of vitamin D, you are much more likely to experience severe COVID and you've got a higher level of kind of dying because of low level of vitamin D. It's actually really high. There was some stat which showed that, like, 82% um, of people who had died of COVID when they did the autopsies and blood tests had, like, really, really low vitamin D. So then, you know, they kind of did all, all these different analyses and people from BME backgrounds um, are shown to have lower vitamin D levels. Okay. And so that can be just seen as like, oh, well, that's just a given. Does anyone know why that's the case? So again, it's just like, rather than accepting it, my first kind of thing to suggest you do is question why. Why is that? Don't you get it from the sun? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you're not... I don't have leisure time to be outside in the sun or something. You're you're inside working or mm, close. But I guess like even if you compared some, you know, like two people who are working, one's white, one's BME. I, I'm personally afraid of going because they were brought, you know, because they should be living in sunny climates. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. I can say it's an Indian. No, it's true. So, so I mean, and again, this is kind of like the, this is an evolutionary kind of biological thing that if you are from a hot country, if you're from kind of like hot, you know, your ancestors and your genes, your, you know, your skin color has, is the skin color it is because it means that you don't have to, I mean, you have to protect yourself from the sun. Um, but you also don't have to store vitamin D very much and for very long because you know that you're just going to get it all the time. Mm. yeah like who, who knew that like you know tropical born indians like me would eventually kind of <laughs> live in london where it's just gray all the time um so so just kind of like from a very kind of like biological view you know white people hold vitamin d for something crazy like for like six months longer than people from bme backgrounds if you've got dark, the darker your skin is the the less you, you hold on, your body holds on to vitamin D. Wow, that's really interesting. Isn't it? 
I thought I was going to say something to do with like the absorption of sun on the skin. Like, does it differ depending on skin color? You, I mean, you get less because of, of um, skin color, but also it's more about kind of like how long you're able to hold on to it. Somebody from Wales, Antonio, you probably have to hold on to vitamin D for like three years or something. <laughs> Between the, the old sunny day that happens in Wales. You need to store it in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, yeah, anyway, just another example of just like, you know, something that's presented and, and actually like, you know, delve further. Um, I mean, just kind of carrying on with, the, you know, the thread of social inequality and think, Heather, I think you might have said before about people working in, in um, low paid jobs or kind of doing more kind of manual work or kind of doing casual work and, you know, zero hour contracts and all that kind of stuff. What, what do you think is the impact on, of that? on this topic of kind of the impact of COVID on them? Well, I mean, we've seen the issue with frontline workers, you know, like cleaners and people working in hospitals where there's like, you know, there's massively been affected. Mm -hmm. Is there, you know, they're in it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the proportion of, you know, I mean, it, it seems like a terrible stereotype. It's like, oh, you know, you know, black and Asian people are more are more likely to be doing low paid jobs. Um, well, you know, there are lots of black and Asian kind of people that are, you know, very successful lawyers and, you know, consultants and all that kind of stuff. But there is there is a there is a fact that there is a disproportionate number of BAME, BAME people working in the kinds of jobs that expose them to more COVID. You know, and that that is like not only kind of working as healthcare assistants and and kind of nurses and and clinical staff in hospitals, but also people working in in Sainsbury's and you know supermarkets and all those kind of mm -hmm. jobs. It's not just about healthcare; it's just about all the shitty jobs where people you serve people. And you know, we keep we keep kind of veering into class a bit here. Mm -hmm. But you know, if 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 you're you have a kind of career that enables you to work from home you're going to be less impacted than the kind of, you know, the, 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 the highest proportion of people working in those jobs come from black and Asian backgrounds. I think that's a really good point because there was some, again, I haven't stored all these stats in my head, but there was something about like um, a recognition of the fact that people from BAME backgrounds are overly represented in healthcare, health and social care. And then they were talking about kind of like doctors and nurses, so kind of more frontline and, you know, not likely to have PPE in this country and all that kind of stuff. And I think there was something about 20% of, of the doctor and nurse population are BAME, but out of the deaths of the doctors and nurses kind of population, 60% were BAME. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, this is kind of like difference just in terms of kind of like, you know, background and that could be, you know, this whole pre-existing condition thing or, or vitamin D or whatever it is. But I think like, yeah, I want to kind of pick up on the point about class. And if you do have kind of, if you are doing low paper where you don't have that choice to work from home, you know, you're more likely to be living in more cramped conditions. You may not even be able to self-isolate if you do catch COVID because you're sharing a home with so many people or you're sharing a room. 
stressful as well I suppose if you're working in a hospital even if you work in like one of the little like coffee shops they have there like going in every day and knowing that you could be surrounded by people that have got COVID that's stressful and you have to work long hours if you work in a hospital as well like that must take a toll on like your body and your um like your mindset if every day when you go out to work because you have to you think oh I could actually get COVID and die Totally. Even the fact of travelling to work, you know, if you're working in the centre of London, you have to travel in on public transport because who can afford to actually live in the centre of London anymore? You know, so even like you're more, you know, you're you're having to go in the danger zone of, of going on public transport. Like lots of different factors of social inequality um, are felt, you know, are felt by BAME uh, population and these I mean, this is systemic thinking isn't it all of these different factors um alone don't really tell you the story but if you can if you apply them all then it's just like you know Antonio was talking about being stressed and if you have experienced trauma in your life or your parents life um and stress has has impacted your life you know you add on to that stress you add on to pre-existing stress, mm -hmm. then you add on greater exposure through either public transport or just being in a job where you kind of, you're dealing with the public, you know, be it Sainsbury's or whatever, you know, it's like, it just increases the likelihood. And it, so it's about measuring the likelihood of things happening to people um, within certain communities, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we, we know from, from Heather works on the feminism, course and um, we know from that that you know women are disproportionately impacted by austerity cuts it just it is how those cuts land and so with covid it's like how how that covid exposes existing inequalities and and ex and you know and that's not just oh well it affects everybody we're all in it together it's one of my least favorite fucking sayings of all time and it can be applied to addiction or it's being used a lot in covid it's like we're all in it together it's like no we're not not at all there's also that whole thing of like measuring you know having having like the information that's there to, to correlate, to see, the, to, see, to see what's happening. You know, unless the information is collected about what, what ethnicity you are, what sex you are, then you're not, things get passed by. It's not until you have, have those kind of bits of information and kind of quite in-depth bits of information about family life and that, that you can actually put things together and, and see where things need to change. I think this is where you start to really understand kind of, I think for a long time, I remember when I was younger, like I didn't really understand this idea of like structural inequality. And actually it's just, you know, it's really useful to start thinking about, okay, well, actually there are loads of structures that exist that basically perpetuate the inequality. And that's a really good, good example of one of them because it's about power again, isn't it? It's like the, the institution that holds the power to collect the data, they choose what they collect or not and then you know choose whether or not that's available to kind of you know the public or researchers or whatever and it's just mm. like so many of these structures exist whether they're kind of visible to us or not that just continue this inequality so I think there's just something about you know it's fine to start like looking at this more broadly I mean I think we're starting to obviously get an understanding of um, you know this as an example but starting to also look at how this affects 
people from um, areas of deprivation, we're looking at poverty, we're looking at social inequality more broadly. Um, and kind of just connecting this to what I said earlier on, and, you know, I don't mean to minimize it by using this example, but this idea of, you know, I think the idea of kind of a card game is, is kind of interesting because it feels like, you know, if this is all about, I don't know, poker or something, um, you know, you're dealt a certain hand in life and, you know, everyone is playing the same game, but for some people, they've just got like a ton of aces and kings and queens and it's just a piece of piss to play this game. And there are a lot of other people that have their rod stacked against them. Um, and I think to me, that's quite a good example of how, yeah, how this idea of like, um, we can all get what we want if we try hard enough is just absolute bullshit. Yeah, we're all in the game. Yeah. You can also, by the way, tell that we know fuck all about poker. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and, and the silence from the others is, is revealing. I know. I uh, thought I was doing quite well by talking about the, you know, the top cards. Yeah. Yeah, I've um, never played poker in my life. You know, yeah, I, I don't I understand can, it. I can play 21 or bust. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but what if we continue with this this analogy, which is about is about successful as the car analogy? Um, ooh, yeah, but it is this idea that you know, well, we're all kind of you know, it's what you do with what you've got. Well, what if you ain't got anything, or mm. what if like you know. What, what you've got is a load of, um, you know, health inequalities. I don't think this is a secret because I'm pretty sure this came up on, the, on one of the previous podcasts in terms of like embarrassing facts about the FFC team. Um, so a long, long time ago, I used to be like a ridiculously huge Madonna fan. It's very original for a gay man. Um, but one of the things that, so every now and then I kind of just, you know, check in on her Instagram, see what she's up to. And, and I remember like at COVID, you might have seen it yourself. So she did this video of herself, like literally in a rose petal bath, talking about how we're all in this together. Yeah. You know, the, the great leveler that is COVID. <laughs> oh, Madonna. Why did you tell earlier on? I mean, really. Oh. I mean, actually, she's a real kind of example of individual, like, you know, I can make it against all odds kind of, you know, that's a real kind of narrative of, it's a very kind of narrative of the American immigrate, immigrant kind of mm -hmm. story. It's like, you know, it's very, very strong. Um, yeah. Yeah. Strong idea. Um, so we're, yeah, we're not all in it together. We're not, we're not, um, yeah, yeah. So she's listening, right? Bob's yeah, no man. No, Bob is no longer your fan. <laughs> you know, lost a fan, baby. <laughs> I like your old stuff still. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're looking at, you know, systems thinking. Like, I just kind of, I'm curious to ask, like, how does understanding something like social inequality through this, you know, systems thinking lens, like, how does that help? To... I was going to say something like, instead of just accepting something, like accepting that um, COVID affects the BAME community more, you can look for answers to why, which might solve the reasons why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, understanding the complexity of the problem, I think, is going to help you create much more, what's the word, kind of um, effective solutions. Mm. If, you, if you sort of take it as a whole, of like, oh, it's a world full of things that just are. That's just the way it is. It's because of the, you know, how the world is. Um, it, it, it 
it's very overwhelming and it, and it feels like you can't change anything because you know what what are you going against just how things are um how you know how god created them or you know whatever you believe in um whereas actually if you see systems it breaks it breaks that knowledge down a bit like anything like any kind of problem you just kind of break it down into bits where you can tackle mm-hmm no, I was going to say, well, you know, we're talk- talking about how thinking systemically can help us all, like the big us, but individually, it's massively important for kind of taking away a lot of shame that people feel. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if, if stuff happens to you, you, kind of, we live in a society that, that, that encourages the belief that it's your fault or your problem because you're not strong enough or you're not good enough you made bad choices yeah exactly you know you just you know yeah that you have I mean there's lots of shame about illness isn't there um you know it's like there used to be a real sort of shame like nobody talk about cancer I grew up and relatives mm-hmm. would have cancer and my mother would whisper it she'd kind of go oh your auntie Barbara's got you know and, and if like she brought it on herself um, because you know her, her, her behavior and I, I think you know cancer is slightly more talked about but that idea of illness um, as a kind of metaphor for you know as a way of describing people's shortcomings is still around mm. and, 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 and the illness around COVID is, you know people that are experiencing um, COVID in ways because of systemic inequality but there, there, there is still this belief that it's somehow they're not battling it. You know, the really interesting thing is when Boris Johnson got COVID, because he's a white man full of privilege, he really battled it. And he he won, like he, because that's because he's a really exceptional human being. That's how he beat COVID, because he was at war with it, whereas other people can't beat it because they're just a bit, they're not trying hard enough. Mm. so you know there's there's loads of stuff around individually understanding things systemically i would hope that it would 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 help people just think hold on you know this isn't about me not trying hard enough this is about something bigger and i will not carry the shame around this is it and I, i was just thinking about um i can't remember if we said this earlier or if we had it when we were having a bit of a chat about this um before but Again, there's something that I read about, you know, one of the reasons that people from VAME backgrounds are experiencing kind of more severe COVID or long COVID or unfortunately dying is because of late presentation to GPs and hospitals. And so again, you know, the kind of like this narrative of the story was just a bit like, well, they just didn't show up in time. Mm, Yeah. And actually like there's something very much about like people from BME backgrounds have had really significant experiences of racism, going to the doctor, real lack of trust, a real um, sense of not being listened to. You know, there's like a ton of factors actually behind, you know, what we're being fed that are uh, the reasons for this. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of psychology in a sense, isn't it? It's like what we're trying to do on a course in terms of like, don't, you know, don't just accept something for what it is. You know, there's a reason for everything. Be more interested in the reason than the actual kind of thing itself. I mean, you know, sort of delving into the reasons reasons and the, the greater complexity of stuff, it doesn't necessarily give you an answer. Like, you know, psychology, I think a lot of people kind of come and study psychology and think, oh, great, I'll get the answer. 
Um, and it doesn't, you know, often it doesn't really give you any kind of easy answers. It's kind of, yeah, well, you know, it could be this, could be that. Um, but it just shifts the way you see something, right? It just like shifts you around. If you're in a, a, like an avatar or something, it moves you around and you just see something from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And that to me is also what systemic thinking is about. I mean, Heather said this earlier, but it's just seeing things from like, okay, right. If I look at it from the bottom, that, that, that gives me different, a different understanding from what I, you know, if I look at it from the side and it might not be the answer, but it just, it, 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 it kind of, um, it, it enriches how you understand things, mm -hmm. not, you know, it doesn't just shut them down and give you the answer. It just enriches how your understanding of the world. Mm -hmm. the, op the opposite of talks, of course, is Philomena Kunk. We should have her looking at, what is systemic thinking for those of you? Oh. <laughs> One of the things that I'm really chuffed about is I bought Philomena Kunk's encyclopedia on everything yesterday. <laughs> well, I can see some great Philomena Kunk's in this, uh, fans in this household. Move over, Madonna. Um, <laughs> and, and it, you know, in a way we've kind of, we, we talked about this before, but it's like, you know, you can listen to this and you can kind of like have this conversation and just think like, Oh God, it's obvious, it's common sense. Like, why doesn't everyone think like this? Why isn't everyone kind of, you know, zooming out and kind of like seeing the bigger picture? But, you know, it connects to that question you asked earlier, Antonio, of like, why isn't this the prevailing view? You know, we talked about, you know, it means that institutions that hold power don't have to change. Is it easier to just accept things as, as they are? Mm -hmm especially if they've been given to you by people more with more power. Yeah. You just feel like you're never going to be able to do anything or change anything, so you might as well just accept it. Yeah. And, you know, without kind of veering into kind of territory that's just something else, but, you know, I think there's just something really important to recognise that, you know, we are all living under the system of capitalism, and this is sitting under that system where it's, you know, institutions and power are kind of bound together with money. And they, they just seem to it's kind of capitalist realism. It just seems like because if you're born in in that in that system, we're born, we are okay, we are living in one one system. We're all born in it, and we're all born in it. We don't remember anybody um, from the 1800s. We don't know anybody living from the 1800s. So your mum, yeah, my mum's pretty much there. But we're you know we're all kind of living in the system that within living memory, it's the all that we've ever known. And, and there's a kind of there's a kind of things like you can never step out of the book if you like. You know, it's like you could just you. It's really hard to step out of what you're just in. Nothing outside the text. You're in it. Um, so. Um, it's really, really, I was reading this really fascinating thing um, recently and I can't bloody remember where, but it was about the, um, the invention of childhood. And we kind of think that everybody's like, you know, like when, when, when children were born in kind of ancient Greece, they were like, you know, running around in their little togas, enjoying childhood. But childhood is actually a production of capitalism. And it has a particular history and sort of so if you were born in, you know, 1586, like my mother, you didn't actually childhood wasn't a thing. You were just a you are a, a small adult. Yeah, because you're like working at six. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but it's not necessarily like, oh, things are better these days because, you know, children aren't working. That is, again, it's a bit of a kind of, you know, a way that, that childhood is framed. So, so children were very much, you know 
young yeah I mean it's just like things we just think have been around forever like childhood aren't they have a whole kind of little history of themselves that's really confusing isn't it sorry well, <laughs> it's, it's just I think it's just um feels like the kind of the theme of this podcast is just like trust no one yeah <laughs> question yeah. everything which is you know it's no bad thing um and I'm just going to say quickly picking up on this kind of um point of of how you know structures institutions systems are resistant to change particularly when there's money involved I mean I was thinking of climate change so it's a really good example of like how lots of people are really resistant to this idea of you know climate change being connected to co2 emissions and all the rest of it because it means that you know because they've got money bound up in oil so they'll just come up with every other bullshit excuse just around like oh well you know the earth changes temperature like every thousand few thousand years or you know whatever it is rather than looking at um you know what is actually the the kind of the cause of it because then things you know because also that so much will need to change for that changes in co2 to happen might lose your power as well if things change no one wants to give up their power and lose your money yeah your money so it's not a very popular <laughs> way of thinking responsibilities is not easily um held by um corporations and 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 kind of politicians and things like that you know they responsibility seems to be uh, easily placed on disadvantaged individuals i it's your fault you know you, it's your fault you've got, you know, um, diabetes, you shouldn't be so greedy. Um, but actually, bigger responsibilities when we're talking about uh, climate change and CO2 emissions, those responsibilities never really seem to land and never really seem to be picked up by um, huge conglomerates and organisations, you know, suddenly nobody's accountable. So I, I think... Um, that that's a that's a really good example of, of how how systems you know disadvantage the individual mm -hmm. the scapegoat yeah and i know one of the things we want to talk about in a set in a further um podcast is this idea of individual individuality which sounds kind of nice doesn't it? it's like oh i am you know i am what i am i hear you know I, what's that, you know, you know, I am what I am, um, you know, that disco record, anyway, uh, you know, it, it sort of seems like a nice thing, and when I was growing up, I, I, you know, as a teenager, I was like, yeah, but I'm just me, you know, I'm unique kind of thing, and, and it sounds like a good idea, but actually, there's a lot also to be said for kind of working together with other people and recognising, um, you know, connection and, you um, and, and not being such an individual but we live in a society that really um you know praises individuality yeah um but it's much easier to kind of tie in responsibility individual responsibilities like you know yes you know um this is your fault because you weren't strong enough you were you didn't fight covid hard enough uh, you know you are weak that's your fault mm. makes me yeah it's really kind of horrible stuff um so another cheery podcast from us now. I know. Next, next week, we'll be talking about kittens. I think we should do like a special episode on like puppies and kittens and <laughs> possibly cheese. Um, 
Well, listen, that's, uh, yeah, that's a bit of a teaser for the uh, future podcast. Um, Cheese, puppies, chocolate. Yeah, and there's going to be, well, yeah, not that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> individualism one. Um, but, um, you know, there's going to be a, a kind of a brief handout connected to this. And I guess one of the things that I wanted to write on the handout was just, you know, getting people to think about, you know, today we looked at, the impact of or the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on people from BAME populations. I'm gonna have to give my mouth a break after this podcast. Um, but you know, like thinking also about what other things could it be applied to? You know, so thinking about like addiction from a systemic perspective, thinking about obesity from a systemic perspective. So, you know, that's gonna be in the pot in the handout. Um, but for now, thank you all for your contribution. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. See you next time. Yeah. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.